What's up, everyone? It's your host, Chris Chavez, and I'm here with a bonus episode of the City Smack podcast. I've decided to have a little bit more fun on this podcast feed and nerd out with my fellow City Smag writer, Kevin Liao. Kevin is a huge track nut, just like myself, and he takes in most of the races that happen, whether it's on the roads or on the track. So I've decided that at the end of every month, we're going to do a special bonus episode where we look back and try to make sense of the best performances and the best races of that month. Kevin came up with a pretty cool grading scale that I think we're going to start using for each one of these shows. Honestly, I think this is just a lot of fun and it's, it's going to be a good way for me to try and remember things at the end of the year when I try to compile what the heck happened in the sport over a span of 365 days. Instead, we'll just have 12 really good episodes, each maybe about an hour long, 45 minutes. Nothing too crazy. Kevin likes to bring some takes, and occasionally I'll dabble and I'll do so myself. So let's have some fun, and more importantly, let's start the show. Um, all right, so you came up with a very interesting format as to how we should do this, and it comes from the Harry Potter movies or books. Yeah, yeah I've been inspired a bit lately. Been listening to this binge mode podcast from The Ringer, and they're going through all the Harry Potter books. So I was thinking, you know, in Harry Potter, they don't have the kind of A through F grading system at Hogwarts. It instead they go outstanding, exceeds expectations, acceptable. Those are the passing grades. We decided not to be too mean to all the athletes of the uh, elite track and field, so we're only going to go with the positive grades. All right. You know, the thing is, too, is also, yeah, if we hand out too many negative grades every month, then we risk not having a future guest on Yeah, and, and I want my Twitter mentions not to go crazy again, unlike last week. Which was How was that, first off? Like, for the people I mean, who are listening, in our last episode of the podcast, we had, or I guess when this comes out, it'll be two episodes ago, uh, we had Jim Walmsley, we had Stephen Kirsch and Eric Sensman to kind of piece together the whole Jim Walmsley running 64 to qualify for the Olympic trials mania. That was, you know, kind of, we played a big role, I guess, in playing that up because Eric published a piece about why we should care about that performance. And it got a lot of chatter going about it. And then you happened to just tweet out the article with a quote. Maybe you picked, honestly, the, the, the wrong paragraph to tweet out and ended up getting a ton of heat. You, I heard you woke up and your mentions were just a trash can that was on fire. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I know little to nothing about ultra running. So I just read this article. I thought it made a good point. So I picked the most intriguing line of the article to tweet out, which is what you normally do, right? Mm -hmm. And um, some people were not happy. But I'm glad that Eric and Jim and, and when you have Kershaw as well kind of clarified, they articulated their points more. So I'm glad they did that. Um, unfortunately, my Twitter account was the one that took the hit, but that's okay. You know, it's a, it's a team effort. Is it still going or is it? Uh, it's, it's slowed down. I mean, people are still liking the Max King response, which, hey, He's a really great runner, and he has every right to, you know, have his opinion about that article. All right. So we'll probably end up talking a little bit more about Jim on this episode because we're going to be looking at the biggest performances from January. And 
in my opinion, really the track and field indoor season really didn't kick off until maybe about the last two weeks or so. So some of these performances might be recent. Houston half is an exception as to like one of the big road races that took place this month. Um, but I guess let's start off with acceptable and then we'll work our way up to like the bigger grades. So, uh, Kevin, who do you have as your acceptable mark? Well, just, you know, going back to the athlete we were just talking about, Jim Walmsley, uh, hitting that 64 flat at Houston half to qualify for the trials. And this isn't meant as a shot toward Jim. I mean, he said it himself in the podcast. He thought he could have run anywhere from 62 something to 64 flat. And that's exactly what he needed to get to the trials. And that was the goal. So it was by definition acceptable. It wasn't anything better or worse. It was just exactly what he needed. If anything, he put in the minimal amount of effort to get that qualifying standard. So, you know, all worked out. So I give my acceptable to Jim Walmsley. That's good. And I think we've said everything we need to say about Jim Walmsley and that 64-minute half marathon performance on this podcast and just kind of in general. So we'll definitely, you know, maybe have Jim back on the podcast later on this year most likely before the trials, but um, so far the reaction to that episode has been pretty great. Um, so that's all we've got to say about Jim for now. I feel like our listeners are probably now all gymmed out. Um, for me, I'll go with, you know, this performance flew under the radar, I would say, uh, for this past weekend. And I'm going with Devin Dixon, the t- kid from Texas A&M. Uh, Texas A&M pretty much wasting no time in replacing Donovan Brazier as like their star 800 meter runner. Um, Devin Dixon, I believe this was in Lubbock in Texas, ran 145.27 to break the American collegiate record. Um, It's a really quick time. And uh, obviously this is probably like exceeding, it exceeded his own expectations because I think the quote that he said was, you know, he knew he could probably PR. And I think coming into the season, he ran like 147. Um, and 145 is definitely a big improvement. So I'll give him the acceptable mark until he probably breaks, you know, the collegiate record, which I believe is Saruni. Um, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I think he ran 144 or something. Yeah. So, I mean, he's right there of breaking the actual collegiate record. But for now, 145.27. Evan Dixon, Texas A&M, he'll be my acceptable mark. So moving the crazy thing is that he ran faster than Frazier and Clayton Murphy did at in Boston. So, you know, a little bit different with seasons, but um, a really, really good time. Yeah. Now, if only we could get, I guess, like all those guys in the same race. Obviously, he's probably gearing up for NCAAs, and then we've got USAs here in New York in a couple weeks. Um, but, you know, at some point, it'd be cool to get, like, all the guys who have run, you know, between 142, I guess, for Clinton Murphy and like 144, all in the same race, no matter if they were collegiates or, and just put, throw down like a really fast 800. Because I think like we've been on the cusp of maybe trying to break that American record overall. So it just has to be the right race. Maybe something happens outdoor season where that's set up. Um, all right. Exceeding expectations. You want to uh, hit me with yours? Yeah, I'm going to go with the second mention from Houston Half, and this was Emily Sisson, who ran uh, 67.30, which was just five seconds off of her training partner, Molly Huddle's American record in the half marathon. I think this was significant for several reasons. One, I never envisioned, 
you know, we all thought Emily Sisson was going to be better at longer distances, but I didn't expect her to run even close to anything Molly Huddle had ever done. I just thought Huddle was at a different level. So the fact that Sisson came so close is only going to, I think, uh, be really, really positive for her marathon debut coming up in a couple months in London. Um, you know, that's a fast course. Pacing should be interesting. Obviously, she'll be in a group behind the leaders. So, um, you know, we've already seen how loaded the U.S. women's marathoning scene is going to be. How much more loaded could it be if you throw Emily Sisson into that top tier? I mean, it could be really nuts. So that was really um, impressive to me. Yeah, literally there are no locks as of right now for that 2020 U.S. Olympic marathon team. Like, z- like I, no one has a guaranteed spot. Going into 2016, you could say, okay, Shalane Flanagan will probably make the team. And then after that, you're maybe Des Linden has a good shot of making the team. And that third spot is wide open where it could have been, you know, anyone from uh, Kellen Taylor, Amy Hastings-Craig, and Kara Goucher at that time, like, those were the three like big names who were the kind of like on that bubble. And I think it's, you know, all those names, I guess Kara is the exception are still in that conversation. Plus, you know, Molly Huddle, Emily Sisson, Jordan has it's, it's Sarah Hall. It's absolutely insane what has happened within the last three years. And we've still got a whole nother year to go until the trials and anything can happen. Another person, you know, another two or three more names could enter that picture. Um, we'll get to, I guess, like one of them later on um, in the show. But yeah, no, I am very excited. I was a little surprised to see this jump to the marathon so soon. Um, and it's, I was even, it, just like you said, I was also surprised to see just how close she got to Molly Huddle times. And Molly Huddle doesn't seem to be shocked at all because the two of them do train together um, in the column that Scott Olberding and I do uh, every pretty much I think it's going to be every two weeks because we both um, have some pretty busy schedules but the lane nine column that we did last week we touched on those London marathon fields and how they were both in it and just kind of like it's January we still got time to go who would you take right now in a marathon and I said Molly Huddle because she's got that she's at least got the 26.2 mile experience what we saw with with uh Emily Sisson in Houston was that the wheels kind of came off between 15k to 20k and she was I mean through 15k she was on pace to break Molly Huddle's record and then at toward the end just kind of faltered a little bit so my only concern with her in the marathon is when does that fatigue settle in uh during that 26.2 mile distance and that's maybe something that she's going to have to try and figure out between now and April but that's still plenty of time and if I'm Molly Huddle, who she does listen to this podcast, she's tweeted about it a couple of times. You know, I save a secret or two that I've learned about, you know, running that 26.2 mile distance and the marathon. Keep it to yourself because you're going to need any edge you have over, you know, your closest training partner. Yeah, that makes sense. It's going to be a, it's going to be a fun one. I mean, it's kind of nice this year to have both London and Boston have intriguing American, American, um, storylines typically you know we see most americans go to boston london is more of an international field so we have a good mix this year uh chris who's your um exceeding expectations i'm uh, going with the youngster here i'm going with caitlin tui 
Um, she ran 901.81 this past weekend at the Dr. Sander Invitational at the Armory, and she broke Mary Kane's high school record, which anytime I think you break a Mary Kane record, it's pretty impressive, which I guess at this point, like, maybe it's almost time to start looking back at those record books and seeing, like, how many of those are left. Um, I like the guts that Caitlin Tui had because, I mean, and this is, you know, to confess, I didn't watch the race live. I, I was kind of trying to refreshing and following splits. I was actually in, in a car on my way to the BU track while this was all going on, and we kind of pulled up a live stream. And during, I think, the person who was reading the live splits was saying that Caitlin Tui was in the lead at one point. So if that is correct, I am very impressed by that because that takes some guts and you're only a high school kid running against pros for the very first time in your career um so i like that from caitlin Tui. i and you know what is kind of funny is that even after she did that like she had the slowest final lap of the of the field i think it was like a 38 or something like that but she still managed to hold on to third place where amanda eccleson and heather Kampf were the only two people who um were ahead of her so first race against the pros you finish third, you break a high school record, 901.81 for 3K. I think that's exceeding expectations. Yeah, really great day for her. Um, I, and you know what? I was kind of a little upset that I was in Boston for the weekend and I didn't get to see her race live. I'm ne I haven't seen her race in person, so I'm curious if maybe she ends up in like the high school Milrose Games mile field because um, she's definitely not racing against the pros, but – to see one really quick mile out of her would be pretty impressive whenever, I guess, like that does happen down the line. And, you know, she's strong. She's been going, she's been going at it since cross country. One and so, I, so I think she is uh, lined up to run the high school girls mile at Milrose. And if my uh, memory serves me correctly, she didn't win that last year, which is bananas. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. And it sounds like she hasn't broken 440, which is kind of crazy to think, but that's what, um, Pressure is saying. Yeah, I wonder what her split was through the mile, but we could probably look that up. It's and googling that in the middle of a podcast taping is not fun for anyone. All right, outstanding. Hit us with your biggest performance of the month. So it seems like every couple of years we have a guy who really knocks it out of the park in the mile. Um, back in 2013, it was Galen Rupp, who, if you remember, ran that crazy 350 indoor mile in Boston, and then came back and run, ran a 3K in Stockholm in 7.30, which was the American record. Last year, it was Edward Cheserek who ran that crazy, crazy 3.49 mile also at that BU track, that really fast BU track. The next day, ran that 7.38 3K to win at the Boston Indoor Games. This year, it is the new Nike Oregon Project athlete, Yomif Kajelka. Um, a couple weeks ago at UW, ran that 352 mile and then doubled back to beat Clayton Murphy in the 1K. And then this last uh, weekend at the New Balance Indoor Games, 351 to win the mile by a couple seconds. I mean, he's just completely obliterating the field. I don't know if there's anyone on planet Earth who's training for the mile right now who can match up with him. Um, you know, some people have been speculating, does he give the world record a shot? Um, he's, you know, a couple seconds off. We know that BU tracks really fast. He's going to need a really competent pacemaker. Luckily he has a teammate and someone like Clayton Murphy who could pace him through 1200 at world record pace. Um, you know, we haven't quite heard 
what the plans are by the NOP guys about what Kajelka is going to. Well, he's uh, doing Milrose. Oh, that's right. Okay. The mile or 3K? The mile. So he's going okay. up against Cesarek. Oh, that could be fun. Now, we saw from last this last week in Cheser probably is in the same form he was last year. I think he's been a little hurt. So, um, you know, but no atmosphere indoors is like Milrose. So um, you might see something fun. Well, hopefully, I mean, you know, without a world indoors, you might as well go for it because you don't really – and especially this year, there's no serious race until Worlds in September. So oh, might, yeah. as well, so might as well cool. go for it. Yeah, and I mean, I don't, I'm not a professional runner that can really tell the difference between like the surfaces, but I've heard, I guess, that there is like a noticeable difference between running at BU and running at the Armory, where sometimes the Armory could feel a little slower. So it'll really depend on, I guess, how everyone is feeling on that day and like who decides to go with the pacemakers. The Cheswick versus Kajelcha battle is going to be absolutely must watch i'll be there at the milrose games um to to catch that race for sure um what is very intriguing to me well one kajelch is 21 years old or just turned 21 um which is absolutely absurd that he's running these crazy times um i have to go back and watch the replay of the race at the new balance indoor national or in new balance uh grand prix from this weekend because I was actually chatting with James Randon, who was, I believe, the pacemaker for that race. And he, Kajelcha was right on his heels the entire time and was saying, like, faster, faster, like, like, and kind of pushing it. And that's not, it's just insane to think that he ran that fast and still wanted the pace to be just a little bit quicker. So, um, I'd have to go back to watch that race and see if, like, you can visibly see Kajelcha calling for a faster pace, but that'll be very interesting at Milrose. Milrose I mean, that's, Milrose is always a must-watch race. I think you've kind of, in, in conversation to me, compared it to, like, the pre of indoor season. All right, you're stealing my, my stuff from later. <laughs> <laughs> and I, yeah, no, I totally agree that it's going to be a great race. And actually, it was a bit, there was some very interesting comments, and I believe it was on Let's Run, um, that... Clay, uh, no, it wasn't Clayton Murphy. It was Craig Engels had where he was like, yeah, you know, Milrose, the Milrose mile tends to usually just be like a couple Americans, maybe Chris O'Hare and, and Nick Willis duking it out. This mm-hmm. year they've really got their hands full with Yomif Kajelcha and Edward Cheserick. And if I'm Edward Cheserick, like he's always like, it, it just so happens that he is in a very, very tricky situation with his like citizenship. Like we just don't know what the status is of whether, when he's going to be able to possibly run for the United States. And obviously if he runs for Kenya, then it probably hurts his chances of, you know, representing the United States or speeding up that process, whatever it may be, he is in limbo and he's been in limbo for quite some time now. So that prevents him from even, you know, kind of tailoring his season to peak at championship races where like international global championships so, I mean, if I'm Edward Cheswick, I put all my eggs into the basket of opportunities to run crazy fast. Mm-hmm. And that means, you know, Milrose games where there's, you know, a big payout. It probably means, you know, finding a way to race at pre and going for that really fast mile out there. Um, because, you know, there is no world championships when you don't have a country to represent. And it's really sad because it's a waste of talent that is that it possibly has, like, 
medal contention uh, in his, I guess, like, he's got the potential to win global medals and he can't because he doesn't have really a country to represent right now. And yeah, it's really a shame. I think everyone needs to call their member of Congress and insist that Edward Chesar be written into the immigration bill because this is important for the United States of America. <laughs> All right. On that note, I'm going for my outstanding performance of the month and I'm going to go with Grant Holloway who, you know, he won the Bowerman award last year. And it's incredible that he's still in college. Honestly, like I, th I think like we are kind of, I guess, being treated to something really special, seeing someone of this high of a caliber of talent still being in college and apparently still having fun because he's back to add more hardware and he's going to do it in a bunch of, maybe try and do it in a bunch of different events. So he runs 6.59 for his first ever 60-meter race on the track. Then he goes back and lowers that to 6.51. And that's the ninth fastest time in the NCAA all time. Uh, so, I mean, that's crazy that it's just, that's not even his main event. And he runs that fast. I, you know, if he hasn't started speed work yet, then it's going to be a problem. And that is my shameless plug there to go out and buy a haven't started speed work yet from, from us. You can find the link in the show notes. We've got mugs. We've got a T-shirt. Haven't started speed work. Check it out. Um, so, yeah, Grant Holloway already has the collegiate record in the 60-meter hurdles. Um, and that's obviously probably going to get even quicker now that he's running this fast without hurdles in the way. I'm excited to see what he does. And especially once it gets to outdoor season, he'll probably run his first ever 100-meter race. So, you know, Grant Holloway is someone who has, like, I guess, like, Omar McLeod runs a crazy fast 100-meter race. I think it's what we're seeing with Grant Holloway and Omar McLeod is going to be super special during the outdoor season. Um, and it's, we're lucky that Grant Holloway, I guess, is, represents the United States. So just when you thought, I think that the 100, the 110 hurdles outdoor season, um, we're starting to get away from the U S a bit. We have this incredible talent who's going to be on that, you know, global championship uh, stage come September, I think. Yeah. I think McLeod is the only guy to have broken 10 seconds in the flat hundred. And then, 13 seconds in the 110 hurdles, you could very well see Holiday uh, achieve that same feat come outdoor season. Yeah. So Grant Holloway, I think, is my outstanding performance of the month. Now, so we, we've just ran through the, those uh, performances, but let's, I guess, uh, hit on some random topics that happened throughout the month. And you tell me, I yes, you throw some out there. I'll throw you, I'll throw some out there as well. What oh. were some weird things that you saw in January? One thing that just you know caught my eye as a Northern Californian resident was that the pre classic is going to be at Stanford this year. Uh, you know, we were used to sort of heading to Eugene every year for pre, but because of construction on Hayward Field, it will be on uh, the Stanford campus and. I don't know. It's cool for me because I can drive in two hours to get there. Have you ever been to pre? Yes, I've been to pre once. It was in 2010. It was the year Solinsky went crazy. So I think that was 2010. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've never been to pre. Awesome meet. I mean, we've obviously been to the trials, but to kind of have the international field there is, is awesome. And so, you know, Stanford, I think with, sort of a bigger 
higher level of competition will get a good crowd. It can be hit or miss there, so I'm sure they'll be adding some extra grandstands. I'm sure it'll be fine. The good thing is that the weather will be good in uh, the Bay Area in the summertime, so overall, should be interesting. Yeah, I I saw that news, and I you know I was I've never been out to pre. I don't think this will be the year that I get out to it, but um, no, yeah, I mean it just sounds cool that they're adding that to slate. Stanford already has some great meets with Peyton Jordan, and even the Stanford Invitational. Uh, get some good talent, I guess, to open their season. Um, I'll hit you right back with one of my weird stories that I saw for the month. The Vatican gets a track team. Uh, They cannot yet compete internationally, but they're hoping that they can meet whatever, I guess, like the IAAF um, guidelines are for a team to be granted its international eligibility. But um, I think – you know, we, we there was actually some chatter among me and a couple friends about you know we have to find someone to do the documentary on the Vatican, you know, track team, and you know if they have a serious shot of sending anyone to the Olympics, the title of that documentary, Godspeed. Already, like, <laughs> like if, if 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 anyone if that do, if a documentary ever comes out and it's Godspeed and it's about this topic, I definitely listen to this podcast and stole that idea. So that is. Like you, I have this clip as evidence that we came up with that idea. So I think that was a really funny story that I saw this month. And I think every country gets to send one person in any event, right? Because you often see like the guy in the heats of the 100 meters who runs 14 seconds. But Yeah, and they have like those, I think especially during the Olympics, they have I think like the one day where it's kind of like the 100 meters starts, like the first round. But it's like first round in quotes, and it's just all those people who are just going, like, right. this could have been, we could have taken care of this at an all-comers meet out in like a random other country. But you, you know, you have, I guess, the right to send some random people. It's also why in like swimming, sometimes you get like someone out there who's, uh, you know, who's got a beer belly and they're on the same like platform or say, uh, they're poolside with some of the best athletes in the world. Um, I find those people hilarious, but you know, I it can't be that difficult to find a nun who can run two forty five for the marathon, and like if that is their Olympic trials qualifying standard, or like if that's we just need to find out what the standard is for the marathon. And I granted, there's there's definitely a nun who who can run that standard. I mean, that's pretty fast. It's fast, but like there's a lot of people like, and they have to be dressed in you know the nun. No, I don't think no? so. Oh. I don't think so. It, I don't think nuns are that strict. I, I, I don't know. know. I'm not that Catholic. I'm Catholic. Went to Catholic school from, from I thought you would know, man. pre-K all the way through college, uh, but I, I don't know the answer to that one. All right, hit me with another weird random story you saw this month. What about uh, Centro going to the Bowerman Track Club? That was, um, you know, we had some good social media content about that. Shout out to our boy, video guy, Kyle. Thoughts on that? I mean, we've seen a couple times the sort of, uh, I don't know, someone going from the Oregon Project to BTC. I think Kerry Goucher's is certainly, you know, the most notable. I mean, this is a pretty big move to go from the training group where you won the Olympic gold medal to the rival training group. It's definitely uh, strange and and a little weird. But I think that when you consider – Centrowitz's personality and just, I guess, like, the way he's handled himself and just, I guess, like, what he has left in his career, um, then it's, it, it does make sense of, like, the, of making the move. You know, there's a 
there's a lot that's probably still going on with, with the Oregon project with just a lot of new faces and maybe, you know, meshing with, with trading partners, whatever it is. Um, this move, I think, kind of it does make sense because the way I think Jerry kind of also structures the people that he brings into his group, it's like I don't think there's really too much of an overlap between having more than three people per event so it doesn't get like too competitive where um, someone – where you have more than three people competing for three spots on an Olympic team. Hypothetically, they could have three steeplers. And all three make the Olympic team. But I don't think you'd ever find a case where you've got four people training together for three Olympic spots on that team. And if you look at the 1500, I think that's the one area where Bowerman doesn't have like as big of a presence. So you got Lopez Lamont, who has run, you know, a really strong 800, 1500, and now has moved up all the way to the 10K. Um, Ryan Hill is someone who maybe. You know, he's made a world team in the 1500, but also in the 5K. Um, so that 1500 training group, now he's got, I guess, Sean McGordy, um, who can also still also be a 5K guy. So unless Centro is moving up to the 5K, which is also exciting, then he's he's in a very good place. He probably maybe wants to give it a shot to defend his Olympic gold medal and he's, I think, still at the top of the U.S. 1500-meter scene. Like, really, for as long, like, I guess since 2011, he's the one guy who's been consistent in every single one of those years and made every single team. Leo Manzano for, for a while, but, but Centrowitz is the only guy who I think is still on that level. So it makes sense, and he's got his options now. I think he can, he can give it a shot of make it. I think the safer bet is make another Olympic team in the 1500, but if the the five k within maybe this year, playing around with maybe one serious one at Peyton Jordan, I don't know. I'm just floating ideas around here and seeing how that goes could dictate wh- how this move pans out. But I think it's a it's a solid career move by him, and I appreciate the fact that he used Kyle's Photoshop to to make the announcement. Yeah, I thought I was curious for a couple of reasons. I mean, one is that there, you know, Jerry does not specialize in the 1500 and then there aren't a bunch of milers in that training group. So it kind of makes me wonder who he's going to be working out with day to day. And two, you know, if Centrowitz, you know, we've seen Schumacher have more, much more success with 5k and 10k runners. So if Centrowitz is thinking, Hey, he's thinking about moving up, that would make, make sense. But we've never really seen Centrowitz have much success at the longer distances. I think his 5K PR is only like 1320, which for a guy who's run as fast as he has in the mile isn't that great. And so, But I, it's also you have to think about like how serious was that. Attempt. Sure. I don't think it was anything like that serious. I just don't know if he like cares about being good in the 5K. Maybe he does now or like over the, you know, the next couple of years is going to make that transition. But you're right. I mean, I think he ran that at, you know, Peyton Jordan a couple years ago, and it didn't seem like, you know, he was fully into it like he would be in a mile race. Yeah. All right, another weird story. Jamima Sumgang, the Olympic champion in the marathon from 2016, you know, her doping bust, she, I believe, tested positive for EPO, claimed that she was injected by a fraud of a doctor. Now, like, frauds are hot in the streets right now. I don't know if you watch these Firefest documentaries, but they they're pretty good. So everyone's everyone's every fraud is coming out at this point. And um, she tried to use that excuse. 
you know, handed over some fake paperwork as well. So instead of taking a four-year ban, it gets doubled to eight years. But she still gets to keep her Olympic gold medal because I believe the positive test didn't come until 2017. So, um, you know, we probably won't see her until April 2025, um, which is... I feel like we're not going to see her again. I mean, that's a pretty safe bet. Jamima Simgang, done. Done. All right, hit me with another one. Do you have any more? So, okay, I'll give you... Pick one of three. Pick Sally Kipiego, Kenanisa Bekele, or Tori Bowie. Uh, I want to do two of these three. Okay. All right. Let's start with um, Tori Bowie because I don't know too much of what happened here. And you were telling me this is a crazy story. This is a wild story. That So a couple things. One, uh, Bowie at one point was training out in, I believe, Florida with um, – with one of the elite training groups there, and one of her training partners was Shawnee Miller Weibo. Well, according to Bowie, they got in a physical altercation to the point where Bowie like was bleeding out of her head. <laughs> so as a result, she left that training group. She, um, you know, also developed an injury. So she then went to the Olympic Training Center in Chula Vista, just outside of San Diego. So she's training there. And at some point, she gets sent this bill for like $5,000. And it was like, oh, this is what you owe us for training here. And she's like, you guys never told me I had to pay anything to train here. She'd been like living there and eating food. You know, they have apartments and, and, and a cafeteria for the athletes. So she gets this bill. She's like, what the hell is this? And so lo and behold, she is now like this was – you know, I think a few weeks ago, has nowhere to train. Uh, she's now been, like, basically kicked out of two training locations. And she's one of the best 100-meter runners in the world. So it's just bizarre on so many levels. Yeah. I mean, I hope I hope your facts are straight on all of that. Uh, I just read the article this morning. So it's mostly right, I think. Yeah. Well, that is pretty wild. Um, this is, yeah. like, some track TMZ stuff. Yeah, that it, you know, it has me thinking like if if it, if the Shawnee Miller Weibo incident would have happened at the Olympic Training Center, then being a security guard must, there must be a lot of fun. Like it, just in general at the Olympic Training Center, you just see a, all these incredible athletes just going about their day to day lives, and I'm sure some crazy stuff goes down from time to time. Or we need to pitch a reality show about one of these uh, training groups. I think Lolo Jones is on Big Brother right now. Uh, oh. I don't know the show, but I will. I only, I only watch Survivor, and I think Survivor and Amazing Race from time to time. Those are my uh, shows. I thought you were a Bachelor guy. I do watch Bachelor. That's on ABC. And actually, I'm missing it right now. So to tape this podcast. Wow, that, that's sacrifice, man. It is sacrifice. And the last topic, I guess, that we want to hit on. Kenanisa Bekele is running the Tokyo Marathon. And guess who else is running the Tokyo Marathon? <laughs> this guy. I am. So, Kevin, let's have some fun here. Let's set an over-under on how far behind I'll be from Kenanisa Bekele. Okay, so what's your PR, Chris? 337.18 from the 2017 London Marathon. Uh, no, uh, Berlin Marathon. I am of the belief I could have run a little faster in London last year. I was in shape for it. Workouts were going well. Legs were feeling good. And I got dealt with a really hot day. And so I really tanked in London, but I salvaged it with a half marathon PR in May. That is my excuse for why I didn't run fast in the marathon in 2018. But I believe I'm a little faster than that. 
337 PR, and I'm shooting for a much better time in Tokyo. Training is going well. Legs are feeling good right now. Still got a couple weeks to go, but I'm not going to say what my goal is just yet, but I'm curious to hear what your over-under is going to be. But you think you can PR by a good amount? Yes. Okay. So this is the thing with Bekele, right? He's just so all over the place at the marathon. So I'm thinking he's going to run between 205 and 208 because if he runs fat slower than 208, he's probably going to drop out. So that puts us at about, if you run, let's say, 332, let's put that as the over-under. Really? Okay. Then let's say that's then uh, an hour and 27 minutes. That's the uh, over-under for Chavez versus Bekele. Just make it an hour and 25 minutes. I'm okay with okay, that. Okay, fine. Hour 25. Take the under. Everyone take the under. Because if, if Bekele drops out, which is like, I mean, there's like an over 50% chance, I feel like, then Honestly, you this, win. This You're going to take the lifetime re- lead against Bekele. Yeah. So if, if Bekele drops out in Tokyo, I will improve to 2-1 and one against him in my career. The only time he's beaten me was in – the London Marathon last year where he ran like ran like 2.05, a very, very crappy time. Um, and then before that, I was 1-0 going into London. I I finished the 2017 Berlin Marathon. He did not. You should have just dodged <laughs> him the rest of your life. Why would you have to, you know, take it up again? I'm, I'm optimistic about Tokyo. And if he drops out, he dropped out of a marathon after 40K. That's 2K left to go. You could have walked it in and still, like, you know, probably run, like, 212 or something like that. But he's one of those guys, if it's not as it's not faster than, like, 206, he's out, which is crazy. I wish I was that fast. Yeah. Anyway, Kevin Liao, thanks so much for joining me on this fun bonus episode of the City Smack Podcast. The best of January 2019. We will record again, I guess, before the end of February, because I will head to Tokyo on February 28th. So uh, thank you so much for joining me, Kevin. Well, thanks for us. Thanks to Kevin for taking the time to sit down with me and just geek out for a bit. We're going to be back with our regularly scheduled interviews next week with Jared Ward. I am taping that episode tomorrow. So hopefully everything goes smoothly and I'll finally be able to deliver that long-awaited episode. And then the Milrose games are also next week, so I'm going to try and make some time to get some interviews while athletes are in town. Um, Yeah, this was a really fun episode. If you'd like to tweet at Kevin about something that he got wrong, he is at RunLiao. His mentions were a firestorm after he just tweeted an ultramarathon article. So if he said something that you didn't like, angrily tweet at him. You can always tweet at me, at Chris Chavez, or at Sidious Mag, whether it's anything, feedback, criticism, compliments. Or if you've got suggestions for who you'd like to hear on the show, just shoot, shoot them my way. And another thing that we want to note is that if you shout us out in your Instagram story and you tag at Sidious Mag, 
we will repost it, and it helps get the word out about the show, which we really appreciate. You can also support the show by going on iTunes and leaving a nice five-star review. We have more than 500 five-star reviews, but if you want to continue to make some some waves on those podcast charts and take down Joe Rogan someday, all you got to do is leave a nice little five-star review. Write, write something funny. Tell me a cool story. Whatever it is, just hit me with those reviews. It helps people find the show and it allows us to grow. That does it for this episode of the podcast. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. And never forget that legs are feeling good.